Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from Revelation 3, 14 through 22. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Revelation in your Bible. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Therefore, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white robes to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see, and reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Listen, I am standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you and eat with you and you with me. To the one who conquers, I will give a place with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Lord, thank you, Sam. Well, we have reached the final letter uh, that, that is written in the book of Revelation, seven letters to seven different churches. And uh, we, we've gone through all this, although this won't be our last week in Revelation. We'll have a couple more weeks, which I, I'm really excited about uh, after the kind of repetitive nature of these last couple of weeks. Uh, some more hope and some more uh, things to look forward to. Uh, as we have said from the very beginning, that Revelation is ultimately not a book of doom and gloom, but that it is a book of hope and expectancy, that we are, we are longing and waiting and hoping for God to work in our world to, to redeem it and make all things new. And, and we'll end that way in a couple of weeks. Well, we, we've reached the, the end here, and Jesus has started out uh, his letters all kind of the similar way. And, and each church, while they've had different things that they've had to dealt with, deal with, uh, they've all been a little similar. Um, some of them have been really good, and Jesus hasn't had any words to speak uh, well, any words of admonishment to correct their behavior, but, but most of them either are dealing with kind of issues of economics and economics, economic idolatry, where, where they value the money that they have and the wealth and their position uh, more than they value being faithful followers of Christ. Uh, some of them are dealing with more kind of religious ideology, uh, idolatry, where, where they live in this pluralistic world where there are gods and temples everywhere, and they're enticed to engage in these worships, uh, worship things, uh, and to give themselves to that, thinking, I can worship this and participate in this and still love and worship God. Uh, finally, a, a lot of these worship uh, religious things are tied up with the emperor, and, and the emperor himself was kind of deified as a god and worshipped as a god. And so uh, not only was there temptation to blend in economic and uh, religious, but it was also political. Uh, th- that if you didn't engage in emperor worship, if you didn't burn a little pinch of incense maybe to, uh, to Caesar at the given time, that you might be labeled someone who is a political subversive, that you were on the outside, that well, that you would bring the empire's attention to you unnecessarily. 
not only did they have all those temptations, but they had the Jews over here who were saying, well, hey, don't rock the boat too much because the Jews had, had uh, well, they had them, made themselves a little niche and they were comfortable and, and if they were afraid if these, these Christians came and made too much of a fuss, they might end up having hardship as well. Uh, each of these churches had been uh, admonished and they had been told, this is what you need to do and, and this is how I will reward those who end up remaining faithful in the end. And so it's no different here as we, uh, as we look at the last church, uh, the church in Laodicea. Now there's a couple of things that I think will, uh, bits of context that will help us understand what it is that Jesus is saying. Uh, one of the things that I've learned throughout this whole study so far is that uh, just reading the text for what it is is not enough truly to understand the richness and the nuance of what Jesus is saying to the churches. Because we're just, we're far away from, from the, the time and the place. And, and, and all of these little letters have, have little, little things that tie in with the, the church's history or this place, uh, the city's place. Well, Laodicea was um, founded in between 261 and 246 B.C. And, uh, by King Antiochus, Antiochus and was named for his wife Laodice. Laodice which, if the Griggs were going to have another baby, I would suggest that they would name that one that, because that's what I always boo, but who knows if they're going to have one, and they've not taken my name suggestions yet, but uh, for some of you, there's still time, right? Laodice. Um, So Laodicea, after his lovely wife, which I'm sure is what all of you men would do if you ever founded a city, that you would name it after your wife. Well, the city was really, really rich, Uh, so much so that that there was an earthquake that this devastated the city and, and knocked it all down, uh, much like there had been uh, in other areas, churches in the areas. They're all around the same area. We're probably talking about some of the same volcanic activity and earthquakes. Uh, well, what happened was that the Roman Empire said, hey, we will give you money to help you rebuild. And whereas the Colossian church took that, that offer and some others, they were like, that's okay, we've got this. Uh, they were so, so wealthy that they, they didn't need the empire's help to rebuild. Uh, and so they were able to rebuild the city on their own. Uh, a couple of things that contributed to their wealth was uh, the fact that they were at a, an important crossroads in trade. And so it set them up as a, as a place to, to uh, have financial institutions. And so they had several banks and things like that that would, that would help facilitate trade in the area. And it was, it was a good thing, and it made them lots and lots of money. Uh, they also had fertile grounds that were all around the city that were conducive to, to growing sheep, to, to having sheep herds. And so they became known for this really rich wool that was turned into fine textiles. Uh, and, and they could make these great garments and export them and sell them, and they did really well there too. Uh, because of the confluence of all of these things, they also had a, a medical institution. I guess maybe we would kind of call it a hospital or, or something similar. And, and they became known for this eye salve uh, made from what they would say, Phrygian powder. And they would put it on their eyes, and it was, it was said to, to uh, help with declining eyesight. Uh, I'm sure it worked in some ways. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm blind without my contacts, so... Uh, if I could smear something on my eyeballs every day to not have to wear my contacts, I would love that. Uh, but I'm probably not going to. Uh, anyway, so they had banks, and they had textiles, and they had medicine. And they had become really, really, really rich. And with that, um, uh, they became comfortable and, and maybe a little, a little complacent. 
It wasn't all, though, roses and sunshine for the church in, well, for the, the city of Laodicea. Uh, they had no water source on their own. And so they had to build a, uh, they had to build an aqueduct six miles long from Hierapolis. Uh, I believe, if the internet is correct, this is an actual remaining remnant from that particular aqueduct. In, in Hierapolis, they had hot springs, uh, and they would pipe the water down this way to the city. And by the time it got to the city, it was uh, kind of brackish and lukewarm, not hot nor cold. And it wasn't all that great to drink, but yet they still, they still had to have water. Um, so those are the little things of context that I think help us. Uh, and he starts his letter this way, Jesus does. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Um, I always have heard this, not knowing really like the context behind this particular letter. I had always heard this, uh, that, that being hot was being on fire for God. Like we had kind of that conversation a little bit in Bible study, that, that if you, that Jesus was going to spit you out because you weren't hot and on fire for, for God. And that, that may be, that's not a bad interpretation. I think that's good. Uh, but I think in this particular context, being either hot would be good, like it was in Hierapolis with medicinal kind of properties, or being cold that was refreshing and quenching to the thirst would also be good. Um, you know this to be true, right? A hot cup of coffee like warms your body and your soul and makes you capable of living, right? At, at least, wow, I, I say all really good things about God and coffee is what gets the amen. <laughs> I'm doing something wrong, I think. Uh, you, you know, a good cup of coffee and, and a really great glass of iced tea or lemonade or mixing them together. Uh, I ordered an old Arnold Palmer the other day and the waitress had no idea what I was talking about. Like, just mix the tea and the lemonade. She's like, do you want booze in it? I'm like, no. True story. Uh, it's really, really good, but when you pour yourself that hot, fresh cup of coffee, and then you set it on the kitchen table thinking, I'm just going to go do this one thing, and then I will come back to it. And you come back to it three hours later, and you're like, ah, oh, finally my coffee. And you take a drink of it, and what do you want to do? I want to spit it out of my mouth, right? Because lukewarm room temperature coffee is no good. Well, you pour it over ice, and then it's iced coffee, and then it's good. Uh, the same way is, is with uh, iced tea or lemonade. Room temperature lemonade is awful. We went to the fair yesterday, went to the, the parade, and then the fair. And, of course, it was like 100 degrees. And so we all took water bottles, and mine was uninsulated. And by the time I got to drink it, it was room temperature, which was like 100 degrees. Uh, <laughs> And, it, and I, we sat down, and I'm, I'm eating my potachos from the alligator, uh, the gator place that was on the corner there. And, yeah, potachos. They're nachos with potato chips. They're really good. Yeah. Um, and the, it was a little spicy, and I kept drinking this water, and it just did not help at all because it was 100 degrees, and I needed, uh, so I ended up going and buying a Gatorade. But uh, you get the point. Like, hot water, hot coffee, hot cocoa, apple cider is good in its context. Cold lemonade, cold iced tea, cold water is good 
in this context. I think Jesus is saying to them, uh, I need you to decide what you're going to be. And, and uh, Bill had a great comment and made me think about this. Uh, that, that lukewarm spot is kind of, it's easy to be there, right? It doesn't take any, any energy to be room temperature. Uh, but it takes, it takes work to take water that is at room temperature to make it hot. It takes energy. It takes energy to, to take water that's at room temperature to make it cold. It takes energy. I think Jesus is saying to the church in, in Laodicea, look, you are in this spot where you are useful for nothing. I need you to do some work. Not that they've got to earn their salvation here, right? We don't think that. But you've you got to put some effort into it. Uh, I, I think this is important. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. It is not, I am currently spitting you out of my mouth. And I think, I think this is a subtle difference, but it's really, really important. I think it means that there's a chance, Right? That, that in their lukewarmness, God hasn't given up on them, but has said, hey, as he's done with all the rest of them, there's still time. I'm not yet about to be done with you. If anything, if we look at the witness of the Old Testament, we see this is God's posture over and over and over again. That Israel ends up being unfaithful and complacent and comfortable, and all those things, and, and constantly God is calling them to something deeper, something bigger, something more faithful, and he sends them prophet after a prophet after prophet to say, there is time. Mend your ways. I'm about to spit you out. I don't think God never doesn't warn us about these things. Whether we choose to listen is another, is another thing altogether. Verse 17, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, I, I don't know if you have ever said a line like this. I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Have you ever said that? Have you ever been so confident, though, that like in, in the life that you have created for yourself, you're like, ah, this is good. I did this. I worked hard to provide things that, that I have. I think it's an easy enough thing to do, and I think maybe this is what the church in Laodicea did, they, that God had so richly blessed them financially that put them in a place perhaps to do tremendous good throughout the whole known world because they're at this crossroads. I, I think that when we fail to see the things that we have as God's gifts... Uh, we're inclined to only use them for ourselves. But when we see the things that God has given to us as gifts to be held lightly and to be stewarded well, perhaps to be given away even, I think that changes our perspective on life, that changes our perspective on, on faith and what it means to truly be a follower of Jesus Christ. I think when we look at all of that we have as gift, it propels us out to love God 
through loving our neighbors, by taking the gifts that we have been given and giving them to others. Does that make sense? I think God blesses us so that we can bless others. He goes on, verse 18, Therefore I counsel you to buy from me gold refined... Oh, wait, I want to go back, actually. I forgot something here. Uh, You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. They have banks, lots and lots of money, but they are poor. They have hospitals with ISAV that help people see and yet they are blind. They have fine textiles and clothing and rich wool, and yet they are naked. I think when we fail to listen and to hear that these things that we have are gifts from God, that all of the things that we think that we have are really a sham, that we really aren't rich in the ways that we should be. Therefore, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white robes to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may, be, so that you may see. Jesus takes this and, and turns it on itself. So gold refined by fire has always kind of been a symbol for, for purity. And so what God wants to do is to take them in their lukewarmness and to, to, to refine them and to purify them to give them not soiled garments, but white, pure robes that will cover them and, care, uh, and, and cover their nakedness. Uh, that they will be rich in the truly good things, which is the love of God given to them for the sake of others. And that God will touch their eyes so they can see the ways in which God is calling them to work in their world. Uh, to exercise a Christian imagination, to be able to see the possibilities of what they might do with what God has given them in their giftedness as they sit at this important crossroads of, of, of land. Verse 20. This is my favorite, by the way. Listen, I am standing at the door knocking, and if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. I... This is pretty famous, right? If you search this up on the internet, you'll come back with lots of uh, Christian merchandise, um, and and likely this this painting. Is this familiar to you? Someone once said that that um, that there's no doorknob there because only like we can let them in, and that's the doorknob Jesus is covering up because that's the hinge side. I I don't know. That's what goes through my mind. Okay. Anyway, I think a lot of times we think that this passage is about Jesus uh, talking to us individually, right? Like, uh, for the non-believers. Like, look, Jesus is out there, and he's knocking on your door, and he wants to come into your life and, and take possession of it and make you all that you should be and clean you and purify you. And that's not wrong, because Jesus, I think, is always knocking on our door. Jesus is always calling us. Uh, before you even recognize it. So it's not wrong. But in the context of what Jesus is saying, he is talking to the church. 
at Laodicea. It, it, it may be that the individuals in the church at Laodicea had shut the door and locked Jesus out, but it is also equally the case that the church in Laodicea had shut the door and kept Jesus out. Maybe they didn't know it. But the image here is of Jesus standing at the door of the church saying, let me back in. Let me back in. I, I, I wonder... I wonder if this, this letter, you know, it doesn't call us out necessarily on political ideology or idolatry or economic, well, maybe economic, or religious. I, I think we can name those things maybe a, a little more specifically, and, and maybe we can sometimes justify, say, well, we don't, we don't worship other idols, that's fine, we don't do that. But I think this one comes really, really close to home because... Well, in, in America, like, we are blessed. Like, I, I have been richly blessed. We have been richly blessed compared to most of the world. And I, th- I wonder if, like the church in Laodicea, we have become comfortable. That we have not seen our blessedness as gifts of God, but that we have just kind of owned them and we have said to ourselves, I am rich, I have all that I need, I have no need of God. I wonder if we've said that individually, but I wonder if as, as a church, maybe not our church necessarily, but in, in general, the church in America has said that. And we sit and then we hear a knocking and we don't recognize it. It is Jesus saying, I want to come in and I want to eat with you. That's an image of God's kind of end time banquet where we're with him forever and we enjoy fellowship with him. But I also think that, that in eating, good things happen. That in eating, when we're, we're in relationships with folks, uh, it, it's, a, it's a place of openness and, and maybe even a little bit of vulnerability. And so I think Jesus wants to come in and to eat with us, to sit down at the table with us to say, this is, you could do better. Ah, that, that pot roast is a gift from me. This great table, the house that we're sitting in, is a gift from me. Your health is a gift from me. And we might enter into dialogue and relationship with the God who created us over a good meal, and then we might both leave the house to go out into our world to love, to share the message of salvation, to bring him back to the house, to share a meal with us and with Jesus. I'm not saying that work isn't, isn't good, because I think it is. God gives us the ability to work. I just think at, at this time and place, maybe specifically, uh, we need to be aware that maybe Jesus isn't always with us when we do our churchy things. 
and that, that our success as a church, uh, our ability to fulfill the mission to love our neighbor as ourselves is completely dependent upon us opening the door and allowing Christ to dine with us. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.